one is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and we have uh, a really interesting, fascinating, and important show for you today. Um, we're covering a, a pretty serious topic, not a pretty, very serious topic. Um, so it, it is not lighthearted, but uh, it is eye-opening, and um, I think it's important, an important discussion that has to be had, as well as um, things need to be done to rectify it. And our guest today is actually intending to do just that. Um, the subject today is male victims of sexual abuse. Uh, male victims are not talked about as much. Um, you know, it's, it is pretty much in the closet. There is a lot of shame primarily because it isn't talked about very much, plus um, it is not manly to complain and um, show weakness. So there's a lot of toxic masculinity that both goes into it and is fed from it. Um, the, uh, our, our guest today is the founder of a website called IamMan.com. He is a speaker, author, and um, he has told us that one in six men in the United States are sexually abused. Um, he's going to talk to us today about a project that he is heading called Echoes. Um, the project is going to incorporate a book and a documentary, but it's going to talk about this uh, sexual trauma and the effect that it has on men's lives. Um, apparently, it, this is core to a lot of men's experiences that uh, propel them forward to incarceration, suicide, violence, and homelessness. So it is, it is a seed that um, has long-ranging ramifications. We've heard about a lot of um, male sexual abuse with the Catholic Church scandals. We hear snippets of it here and there. Um, quite frankly, media makes fun of it when it has to do with prison. Um, it is a constant joke um, about uh, that kind of abuse that happens in prisons. Um, it is also something that is um, there is a current story in Los Angeles that um, just broke yesterday uh, regarding the um, and the detectives are investigating alleged assaults and they've arrested a 32 year old man who um, has lured different um, heterosexual men to an apartment. Um, this was done through a dating app and. They were um, basically catfished, thinking that they were corresponding with a woman. Um, they showed up at the apartment, and um, this man was there instead of the woman. He told them that he was a friend of hers, uh, presumably that she was going to be returning shortly. Um, they were there to have sex with her. Uh, but then in the interim, while they were waiting, he uh, drugged them, 
and then had sex with them while they were passed out. Um, the victims have given the police statements. There's DNA evidence linking the, the man that they arrested, um, and uh, they are hoping actually at this point that more victims will come forward to talk about this. But there's a present example of how this is happening and how it isn't really being given that much attention. Um, so uh, Robert Marshall, our guest, will be coming on board in just a few minutes. We're going to talk to him about everything he's doing to bring up awareness and to solve this problem. Uh, first, I want to welcome to the show the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine and the co-host of Reddit LGBT Radio, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome. Hi, Rob. Um, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation, but looking forward to it in such a way that we get good information out there because this is a subject matter that uh, is near and dear to me personally as I am also a survivor of sexual assault. And, you know, in my years of reporting and especially in the last 15 years that I've spent in queer media, uh, we've done a tremendous amount of reporting, particularly in the black and Latino communities uh, of men who were sexually assaulted. And it is uh, a subject that, quite frankly, doesn't get talked about a lot and really needs to. So I'm looking forward to this discussion with Robert. Um, today's been a busy day in the news, uh, especially if you remember the trans community. And it has all been bad. Uh, in Alabama yesterday, a Senate subcommittee okayed and signed off on a bill that goes to the full Senate now that would criminalize health care providers in the state of Alabama from treating any transgender kid under the age of majority. And additionally, the bill would also have a requirement stipulating that student guidance counselors and others within the health care system in public and private schools in the state of Alabama would be required to tell the parents uh, uh, essentially outing the trans kid. Uh, one state up, Georgia. And this, uh, Brody, this came out of committee, or has this been voted yeah, on? It's out of what, committee. What it's, it's, no, it's out of committee. It's, it's, headed, it's headed to the Senate floor for a vote. Uh, in Georgia, <laughs> they passed an anti-trans youth sports bill. It, too, got out of the committee. It now goes to before the house again this is another one of those quote unquote save girls sports language bills that would and and i'm reading from the bill would prohibit biological boys from competing with biological girls with biological with biology defined as a student's gender blah 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 that now heads to the georgia senate for a vote uh sadly i'm not done kentucky the kentucky senate committee today passed an anti-trans youth sports bill. Basically, the language identical to the Georgia one. It, too, goes to the uh, floor for a vote. The state of Virginia, a little bit of good news. The Commonwealth of Virginia's uh, anti-trans student bill, notification bill, that they wanted to repeal what was already previously done by the full assembly and signed off by then-Governor Northam, was killed in committee, so it won't come out of the House of Delicate Committee, so it's dead for the session. So at least that's done with. In Mississippi, 
And if it seems like we're doing all trends all the time, I'll get to that in a minute. In Mississippi yesterday, the Mississippi House bill was passed, which basically would ban transgender inmates from changing their uh, gender marker. And then last but not least, in the Oklahoma House is a piece of legislation that has been put forward by another Republican. And essentially this bill would set up, uh, this is really ridiculous, it's, it's a bill that would require anyone that would be seeking any kind of abortion under unexpected pregnancies to register their pregnancy with the state of Oklahoma, okay, basically uh, to get help, okay, um, you know, for avoiding abortion, if at all possible, stay day, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, Democrats and the ACLU and everybody else is jumping on. This one is, oh, goody, the pregnancy police. Conceiving was now a crime, and we're arresting personhood. There's been a lot of pushback on it already. Uh, The bill was just introduced, so we don't have any tracking on it. It is Senate Bill 1167. It's filed by Republican State Senator George Burns. And the act is Every Mother Matters Act. This would establish a government database for pregnant people looking to get abortions in Oklahoma. Each pregnant person will call a hotline and be connected with a, quote, pre-abortion resource assistant, unquote. But that person is legally not allowed to refer a patient to an abortion provider. The pregnant person would then be assigned a unique identifying number in the database, and abortion providers would be mandated to get that info for seven years. So naturally, civil liberty libertarians and a few others are losing their minds over that one. And last out of Oklahoma, and this one's always fun, we have a woman who won a plurality of votes in a primary for the Edmonton Public Schools District to get on the board. This is someone who screamed about Black Lives Matters as a, and I'm quoting, a Marxist organization whose whole purpose is to overthrow America, and it's being shoved in our kids' face. Then she got pissed off about LGBTQ flags. Her, her statement on that was, you folks would rather have, you know, a political indoctrination hanging up in the classroom. We have seen LGBT flags and paraphernalia. This is inappropriate. You will not allow a Christian flag in the classroom. Why are you letting this political indoctrination? Blah, blah, blah. The problem is this woman is probably going to beat her primary opponent and more than likely with the way things have been going, get elected to the school board. So it'll be all sorts of fun and games. And on that happy note, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. Um, Brody, on the the things that are happening, you know, the attack of um, trans kids particularly, I mean, the, Mm -hmm. the bill in Alabama is particularly worrisome. I mean, and I'm not, trying to downplay the seriousness of the attack on trans athletes, but the um, Alabama one where they are attacking the healthcare and um, the ability for uh, trans kids to be treated appropriately and in a healthy way, which has been shown to completely drive down suicide rates amongst um, Mm -hmm. um, those young people. Um, is HRC or any of the big, um, you know, gay advocacy organizations 
the, these guys work with big corporate donors and, you know, they, they show up, they have these huge dinners that are all funded by big corporate money. Are they turning to these big corporate entities and getting them involved in fighting this on a broader scale? I know we had um, um, Brandon Wolf on two weeks ago with, uh, you know, the things that are yeah, going on in Florida crazy. and different equality, you know, state organizations are kind of going up against, you know, these different bills single-handedly. They're sort of like David's against the Goliaths. Um, are, are, is, there, is there any big LGBTQ firepower that is, you know, targeting this, this whole trend? Short answer, no. Long answer, yeah. it's being fought on the ground by the Equality Federation, which is made up of the various equality groups across the United States. Um, the, human rights, the human rights campaign basically at this point uh, has been neutered and is basically ineffectual uh, and is in disarray. The only leading organization out there would be the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, uh, but when it comes down to this legislative push, uh, they're essentially a Washington, D.C.-based organization. So it's very difficult for them to put shoe leather on the ground, which leaves it up to the Equality Federation's members, including you know Equality Florida, Equality Alabama, Equality Texas, uh, then uh, people like Chase Strangio, who's the head of the uh, gay and lesbian project with the trans uh, emphasis of the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, so there is, there is, you know, shoe leather on the ground. People do, you know, have themselves invested in the fight. The problem is there's no national. And with HRC basically out of commission, no, there's no national push right now. Well, that, that in, in a word, sucks. Um, yep. So, yeah. Um, well, okay. So we have work to do. And, um, you know, and I love the, the equality um, teams that are working on this. We've had several of them on the show and, um, you know, are fully behind them. It just would be very nice if they had some strong wind firepower behind them and, um, it's a shame that, you know, the the big moneyed organizations and their big fancy dinners can't show up. So anyway, nope. <clears throat> we'll, we'll leave it at that. So switching topics from one contentious, difficult topic to an even more, well, not even more, but certainly horrific topic um, that we want to get to. Um, I do want to welcome our uh, special guest today, uh, Robert Marshall, onto the show. Robert, welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing? How are you? We're good. We're, for we're, we're, we're getting in a funky mood because uh, we're talking about such serious stuff that isn't, isn't very happy. Um, Robert, I want to take, you, take us back on you and, um, you know, how did you get started on this path, you are kind of on some big missions, um, not only with um, male sexual abuse, but just manhood in general. Um, what what got you going uh, in that direction? So in all honesty, um, I, 
this was nothing. I never wanted to do this. This was not anything that I would ever consider doing. Um, to be honest, um, growing up, I always struggled through um, finding myself. Actually, it's funny you were talking about the South a few uh, moments ago because I actually grew up in the Deep South, and I always found myself uh, wrestling um, what I know now uh, what it meant to be a man and what did manhood, what, what did that mean, what did that look like, because I never really fit, I never fed in into the kind of social construct of masculine manhood or what um, predominant uh, or large societies or dominant societies says it ought to be and what it should look like. Um, that's where it started for me. Um, and, and, you know, as I got older, um, and, you know, saw more of the world and saw different things, I realized that um, men are greatly misunderstood, um, misunderstood by, by themselves and by, the, by, and by others in many cases. Um, and so this journey for me becoming an advocate um, and a helper to, to men um, started when I realized or woke up to the reality that I was also a survivor of sexual abuse and sexual trauma um, mm. because, uh, you know, I'm an African-American male who grew up in the deep South, not a lot of resources, not a lot of access to a lot of different things. Um, and so I just thought it was normal. I thought um, being touched by older men was normal. I thought about, uh, I thought, you know, being introduced to sex and sexuality was unwanted introductions was kind of was normal, at least it was normal to me. Um, right. And um, Robert, I want to, yeah, sorry, I want to take you back a little bit to something you said, though, because uh, obviously we have a lot of men on this show who would relate directly to what you said in terms of growing up and not relating to, quote, unquote, what it was supposed to be meant to be um, a man because they're, they were gay, they are gay, they are LGBT in, in various formats. Um, not to out you, but I, I did kind of want to point out that you're actually saying this from the position of being a heterosexual man as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry to out you in that way. <laughs> no. Just, it's, it's I, okay. it, it gives, you know, no, it gives what you're saying actually even more, um, uh, not credibility, but impact because a lot of from a lot of gay men perspective the fact that there were not straight um was really a foundation to that disconnect um as a straight man what did you feel like the expectation on you was in terms of being a man um well it, it's from everything you know from from the small things like your your uh, mannerisms your your attitude, your walk, your 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 level of um, what I call maleness. Um, I really, you know, I tried to play sports to fit in. It didn't, you know, it didn't work. I rather at that time would have been doing musical theater. Um, I was, you know, singing and and it. I just I was singing and in the deep south, you know, it's kind of an unspoken rule. You know, you're you're if you're considered a boy, you know, you play sports. You're rough. You're tough. Um, and I never fit into those spaces. Um, and so, um, and not having a point, and this was the major thing, I didn't have a point of reference of what healthy masculinity looked like. Um, like many men of, like many men and men of color and, um, and some from the LGBT 
um, Q community, you know, I grew up without a father, so I did not have an example. Um, and so sexual that's how kind of sexual abuse started with me was that I didn't have a father in my life um, or a father figure. Um, and kind of any man or male that kind of was willing to spend time with me, um, oftentimes it turned into abuse. Um, under the auspices of them being a mentor or a big brother or a coach or even a preacher, you know. Um, over my life, I've had over nine different um, abusers over my life, and they've been every they've been everything from educators to clergy, um, coaches, husbands, you know, um, and it's it, and that did not add anything as it relates to me really finding my space um, or identifying as a male or a man. And that right. complicated and I, a lot. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the confusion, um, emotional, mental, everything would be um, horrific. And I, I want to open this up to Brody, who had a similar past experience um, for, for each or both of you. When, when that had happened, did you, first of all, after it happened, did you have the desire to get help? Um, and what, what do you feel like repressed you um, at that point if you did? Um, you know, initially, so I'll, I'll get a little detailed. Um, one of my stories, uh, uh, one of my abusers was actually a, uh, a pastor um, in the city where I was from, and um, the abuse, um, it started in fifth grade, as early as fifth grade. Um, and he was supposed to be um, a mentor, a big brother. And, uh, he wound up being my longest standing um, abuser where I was sexually groomed by him from fifth grade all the way to the age of 19 years old. Um, and so with him, it was really, um, it was it was layered because, I, one of the things that I say in my book, like, what do you do when um, the people who are supposed to be praying for you wind up praying on you? And your right. people who are supposed to be providing support um, and help and guidance um, are are basically wolves in, wolves in sheep's clothing. And um, that was kind of my, that was my reality. And so I lived in this space where I didn't say anything because, number one, I did not think it was sexual abuse. I didn't have the words. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the, I didn't have the bandwidth uh, to even understand that concept. Um, I knew that something wasn't right, but I was not going to tell because this was the only male uh, attention that I was getting. And it taught me how right. to keep secrets. It taught me. It taught me how to keep secrets. It taught me how to stay silent. It's because he made me feel wanted. He made me feel like I mattered. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to give that. I wasn't going to talk about that. You know, I wasn't going to tell because, um, first of all, who was I going to tell? And he and one of my incidents with him specifically, I remember there was a time where he actually raped me, and he said to me. You know, if you say anything to anyone, nobody's going to believe you. Um, and because, you know, he, he, nobody's going to believe you. He had, you know, notoriety whatnot. Um, and one time uh, he, he literally looked at me and he said to me, 
um, well, after he had done, you know, after he had got finished raping me, he looked at me and said, you need to go, pr- you know, you liked it and you need to go pray because something's wrong <sighs> with you. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I remember that wrong. one. Yeah. And um, I, it, it, it I, was challenging. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, Robert. I mean, it. you know, uh, a few years ago, um, we were reporting on a story out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, is a very prominent uh, megachurch pastor, uh, black, African-American, uh, who sexually assaulted a litany of male, um, I guess, par- parishioners and, and, and staff in this church. And I, and I don't mean one, two, or three. I mean, this guy had a track record. He was uber wealthy, had a lot of money, um, and, and he built up, all of this, of course, from his ministry. And as you pointed out, you know, instead of praying for people, he was preying on people, literally. And and I, when the story initially broke, the Atlantic Consti- uh, Constitution Journal broke the story uh, at the time I was working for Reuters. And when we ran with the story, I just, you know, I got a lot of feedback from the greater Atlanta area. Atlanta is kind of like spread out like Los Angeles in terms of, you know, population. It actually spreads out over, I believe, four or five counties that sit right, right. around it. And um, it, it just, it, the impact, especially on the black community, it was devastating. Um, yeah. Because many, as you well know, you know, unfortunately and sadly, statistically, whatever you want to do, we've got a disproportionate amount of, you know, families that are being raised by single moms, you know, and they don't have the good role model. In a lot of cases, you know, dad is completely absent or incarcerated, one of the two. Right. And, you know, then, of course, there's the what, what we call the cultural factor, which is um, I think it's been mislabeled to hip-hop culture and all that other stuff. It's just simply that I don't, I don't buy into that. I think what it is more than anything else it's just a disconnect because the familiar, you know, fabric has been torn asunder by dad being absent. And then this person comes along, you know, who is flamboyant, has money, is willing to spread it around, is a good person, which, you know, automatically is a preacher would be given, especially in the black community, uh, especially by the ladies wearing the large hats, you know, in the Sunday go to meeting fan types. Uh, who rule the roost in a black home. And if the person passes the spell test, then they're going to endorse it. And then, of course, comes the problem that if you do talk about it, they don't believe you. Oh, that's not possible. You're lying, or or you did it. You know, that that's the other part of it. I heard that story repeatedly. Um, yeah. in, my, in my case, was similar, you know, and, and mine was a priest. So, you know, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, and... and I have complete, I have complete empathy for you, brother, because you know you and I are, we're in that same family, as it were. Yeah, I, I think, um, and so, what pushed the, the next question was kind of what pushed me in this space. What pushed me in this space was, um, I realized one day that, um, as I was talking, I started sharing my story, and I realized that, ma'am. Um, the more that I started to share my story, the more I kept hearing that happened to me too. Mm-hmm. And 
And especially, you know, the statistic is, you know, before the age of 14, it's one in six men um, are, are are reported victims of sexual uh, abuse. Um, and then after, the, I, I believe the organization Rain, they put out another statistic that it's actually one in four men after the age of 16. Now, this is the catch here, after the age of uh, 16. Now, this is the catch. That is what's reported. Right. And let me just speak for the the ethnic communities in America. We're not reporting anything if we don't have to. Um, right. And so I, and I realize, you know, because, you know, our most ethnic communities' relationships with police, are, you know, have not been the best. Um, and so they don't report anything. So as I started telling my story, it was people, it was literally by droves, it seemed like, of men who were uh, hitting me up in my inbox or reaching out to me via email or phone calls or text message and saying, you know what, this happened to me too. Um, and so what I did was to get me started about a couple of years ago, I, had, I held an event specifically for male survivors of sexual trauma. I did not think anybody would show up, to be honest. Um, and the crazy thing is we had over 92 men show up, and these were all men from all walks of life, you know, or these were males from all walks of life. You had people from the trans community. You had heterosexual men. You had married men. You had gay men. You had, um, you know, men who identified, you know, who were, if you were, you know, in the street life. You had all types of men who were just looking for a place to relieve the pressure of the what they had been carrying for all of their lives. Um, and these secrets, I realize, are eating men alive. These men are battling internally with depression, with depression and 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 anger and um, uh, and and, uh, suic- and su- wrestling through suicidal ideations. And you know, rather regardless of where they land, you know, as their sexuality, um, they all need help. We all need help. Um, and the truth yeah. is, we started around. There was a lot of resources for women. There's a lot of places for women to go. But for men, there was almost nowhere to go. Um, and so that's how we started on this journey. We realized that we needed to start creating spaces and places for all men, all males to come and be, to begin to find the courage to begin their journey to wholeness. Right. Robert, can you talk a little bit about um... – Two things. One, the emotion that men, uh, many men feel at the after the you know holding this in because you you've been very clear that it leads to incarceration, suicide, violence, and homelessness, um, which you know that and and that's not an outlandish statement. It it would would tend to do that. But what what is the the emotion inside, and coupling that with the difference between women who are dealing with it, where the you know it's traumatic and horrible enough, and it, it ruins a lot of the women's lives that have had to experience that. But there is a one factor on the men's side where there's an emasculation that happens that if you are if you report this or if you seem to be traumatized by this that 
you know, the your you've lost your your real man's card. Um, yeah, that seems like an added factor in the shame and demoralization. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So the truth is, um, many. This is what I realized, and as I've done the work, I've done mentorship work with males and men, and I'm an advocate for men. I realized that a lot of men and a lot of young men don't have healthy definitions of what it really means to be a man from out of the gate. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, right. if they have had, they do have a working definition. It was either from someone who was not a healthy male themselves, or a result of a male who you know grew up in a single family, a, a single parent um, household, and they kind of had to figure it out. Um, and so. Either way, you know, those were not working, healthy working definitions. And what it, and with that in mind, uh, what most men define, unfortunately, find, wind up defining themselves and their maleness uh, or their work, even their self worth, based upon external realities. You know, and I don't know how candid I can be on the show, but um, by their by their sexual conquest by what they can achieve, how much money they have, how you know how big their muscles are, all of these external things. Um, and my question has always been, well, what happens when you lose those things? What happens when your mm-hmm. strength goes? What happens when you know your sexual proudness or libido is not what it needs to be? What happens to those things? Are you no longer a man? Um, and unfortunately, what happens is these men uh, uh, wind up losing themselves after these things no longer function or work. And they realize they have to go back to the drawing board, hence what I believe is the center of, you know, the uh, the the, uh, the midlife crisis because they don't have a healthy working definition. And so what happens is, especially for the male survivor of sexual trauma or sexual abuse, is that he has a hard time finding out who he is and who he desires to be. Um, I knew for me that practically looked like um, it took away my power and my 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 power and my ability to choose who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Um, and one of the first things uh, that I talk about when I deal with male survivors of sexual trauma is asking them, you know, what does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a man? Um, and um, kind of starting there because then we can undo some of the um, toxic learned definitions of, uh, that they kind of applied to their lives that winds up that winds up doing more harm than good for a survivor, um, because now they have. To, I, I try to empower them to give them the choice to choose who they desire to be and what they want to be and what it means to be a man. Right. Excellent. So, that's that's awesome. Um, I know one of the things that um, under the umbrella of IamAman.com you work with is um, men who've been been or are incarcerated. Um, and I, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that environment is often joked about in terms of the sexual abuse that takes place. Um, what, what is your observation of, of that environment and the attitudes around it? Well, to be honest, um, I believe that men and men of color specifically, um, black and Latino, um, are uh, disproportionately, um, and if I can be honest, grossly um, 
taken advantage mm-hmm. of by our current judicial system. Um, and a lot of them are, to be honest, uh, victims of vi- are victims themselves. Um, um, growing up in space, they had a lack of resources, a lack of understanding, a lack of access, um, and for whatever reason, find themselves beyond bars. But these are the same young men who did not have fathers, who did not have great community, oftentimes don't have a great um, um, great. They did not have great. Um, they did not have uh, great um, access to anything themselves that would allow them to um, be successful, and they really started at a disadvantage. And so, when I deal with these communities, you know, I have a lot of friends who are returning citizens, and they tell me about the horror stories of men who get taken advantage of in prison um, because of the lack of support, the lack of access, the lack of and no um and nobody watches out for them. Nobody, you know, protects them. No one is there for them, which winds up creating this toxic, toxic environment where it's a dog eat dog world and they're and they're literally fighting for their lives to survive. Um and so oftentimes if they do get sexually violated, then they become even a, a bigger target. Um, they become an even bigger target than what they uh, – they become an even bigger target, um, and Mm -hmm. it creates challenges for them not only in prison but also when they're trying to reenter the world and they are carrying barrels of shame, hurt, rejection, and the secret of sexual trauma when they try to reenter the world, world, um, and now they're battling with – their identity and the abuse and the trauma that they feel like they have to keep a secret for the rest of their lives. Right. And uh, how much uh, you mentioned a lot of emotions there. Um, The one that that you didn't mention, which I would imagine would be there um, is anger and how much of the anger that comes out of that actually propels forward more toxic masculinity. Well, hostility because that yeah they uh, more hostility, more violence, or um, more fear, more shame, um, and what happens winds up happening is that many of them are suffering from PTSD, but um, right. lack the resources to get it diagnosed, um, as well as they're trying to figure out who they are in this new world. So they wind up becoming reoffenders because it's easier to exist um, in that space or in prison, um, um, in prison than it is to live in the free world. Right. Um, Robert, tell us about Echoes. I mean, this is, we've, we've talked about the problem, um, and you are the man with the solution or with, you know, to, to start the road to solution and healing. Um, tell us about Echoes. Um, Echoes, um, Echoes is a project, is an anthology project, um, of the stories of seven, uh, about 17 different male survivors of sexual trauma. Um, these are men from all walks of life, um, and they come together to share, uh, to share their stories, but also to raise awareness about the effects of sexual trauma and how it impacts the lives of men. Um, and so um, it is a book. Uh, it is a, a documentary but it's a movement. You know, we're getting ready to launch a, a, uh, a network called the Survivor Circle, 
where uh, male survivors from all walks of life will be able to come and um, and socially connect and get resources and encouragement, um, share their stories and provide uh, and find pathways to pursuing their wholeness. I say this all the time that men, you can't help what happens to you um, because it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to manage your journey to wholeness. And so what goes, my hope to, uh, with Echoes is to encourage men to gain the, uh, the strength, the courage to begin their journey to wholeness um, and to begin their journey to becoming the best versions of themselves. That's awesome. Um, can you differentiate a little bit about that kind of journey versus um, like the Me Too movement? It seems like the Me Too movement is, focusing on the abusers and for on, on men who have um, disproportionately leveraged their power card over women who work for them, you know, that, uh, you know, take undue liberties um, and cross lines of, of um, intimidation and, um, Manipulation, if, if for lack of a better word, um, the things you're talking about seems to be much more internal to the men themselves. Can you yeah. maybe differentiate those? And, and I'm not saying one is better than the other, but just you know, what are you, what's your viewpoint on it? So to be honest, I, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm an advocate. And what my specific role and what I believe that um, I do in my organization does. Um, we, before a man can begin, um, you know, reconciling his life, his emotions, a, a lot of times men often don't say much or they keep things silent or they keep things internal. And that's where, for men, the biggest battle is. Whenever you can get a man to overcome his internal hurdles, his internal conflicts, his internal um, uh, 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 battles that he is fighting, then I believe you can empower that man to conquer the world. And so what my work is and what I do is I help men um, begin their journey to becoming um, who they desire to be before they, before they were impacted by the trauma. Um, research shows mm-hmm. that when a man experiences some form of trauma, that it literally changes. It changes them. It alters them. And what I want to do is, um, I want to give men back the power to choose who they desire to be. I want to give men back the space internally to take their power back and to find the courage to move. Now, I have nothing against the Me Too movement or any of the other movements there, um, and I think it's all necessary, you know, we're all necessary to complete to do this work. I just know my scent and my space in this work is helping men to begin the journey and giving them the resources no. they need. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I no, I think what I think your your um, approach on it is incredibly valuable. Um, the um, and and definitely because I've seen the the cultural environment that women are in and how that intimidation happens. Um, uh, you know where just the the male female dynamic especially in the workplace et cetera et cetera so that that does need to be tackled but i do think that what you're doing for humans you know is incredibly important 
Um, Thank you. You know, and obviously the focus is on men because men are ignored, you know, at this point um, where women, women, especially since the Me Too movement, you know, this has come much more to the consciousness. Um, uh, but um, anyway, I, I, I just, I just admire what, what your, your point of view and, and the strength that you're imparting on, on men is. Um, what, uh, what would you say to fathers and, and mothers, especially single mothers raising boys um, that would help not prepare them, but, but should something happen, give them the ability to fight back or speak up about it? I would say, you know, be as fully present, it, it, be as fully present with your boys, with your children, but also um, allow, um, if you have a, if I understand your question correctly, um, could you, could you repeat that one more time? I'm sorry, just so I can make just, sure uh, correctly. Yeah, let me put a little background to it. Um, I know a lot of, um, especially mothers with daughters um, in today's age, I, I can't say this happened back in the 60s and even the 70s, but in today's age, uh, a lot of women prepare their daughters and say, you know, your body is your body. You're not allowed to be touched. You know, this is your private thing, you know, and should somebody do this to you, this is what you do. It is not okay. You you don't deserve to be treated like that. I don't know that a lot of boys get that kind of guidance. Um, and yeah, so my question is, like, what what would you put out there to families in terms of giving that guidance? So number one, I believe, and I have a six year old and a five year old son, um, and I always let them know number one that you are a gift. Um, you are you are you are a gift, and your body is a gift. And um, you make make sure that when you are you know or when they go out in the world, that their body is sacred, and that no one you know. I teach them safe zones. If somebody comes into your safe zone, say something. If something makes you uncomfortable, say something. If somebody touches you, say something um, in a way that is inappropriate, you know, against the safe zones. Um, then they they say something. I, I I'm open about those, and I encourage parents to do that. I actually wrote a book called Little Brown Boy um, that is about more so about building the esteem of brown boys or uh, of brown boys and affirming them in their identity, um, which gives them the space to build their confidence, build their esteem, um, and we look at creating. We're going to create more materials um, that speak to um, helping parents um, engage with their boys and letting them know. Um, that they are gifts and that they should be, you know, that they have the power to um, decide what happens to their body and who's around their body and also how to respect others, other people's bodies and boundaries. Yeah, that's excellent. Um, Brody, did you have questions? Um, no, I, I, I think that, you know, what you're doing, Robert, is, extremely difficult um i guess the one thing that i do have a question about though is you know how do we foment as a society and culturally okay a better sense of educational standards for our young people especially our black young people 
uh, given circumstances as a preventative measure. I mean, you know, it always seems like we're cleaning up after the mess and we just don't spend enough time preventing the mess. You know what I mean? It's like there's always the mop bucket and the mops, you know, and it's there, but how about if we keep the floor from getting messy in the first place? What What do you think? I mean, what, talk, talk to me about your feeling on that. I'm I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I didn't quite understand your question. I'm sorry. What did you? What was the question? Well, I mean, everything everything is always seems to be like an afterthought, an after action. But it's just like we we so desperately need to focus on preventative measures, especially with the kids. Um, right. You know, how much focus uh, you know are you putting into that too? Because. While it's a necessary thing, Robert, to work with the adults that have suffered through the trauma and maybe even adolescents too, but how much education is going to take so that these young people realize that this isn't good, this isn't good, this is not role modeling, this is just wrong. Say something, tell somebody, you know, yeah, well, that sort of thing. As an organization, we plan in the future to have. You know, we we tend, we we're planning to run campaigns, and we're actually um, partnering with other organizations who do that work, um, who do that work. And so, I'm really excited about what the future holds. This um, that is kind of a whole other sphere of this work that I have not had the privilege to get into yet. Um, but um, I do know, and I have partnered, and we are partnering with other organizations like the Mama Bear Effect. Um, who are doing the preventative work and taking the, and and creating the materials to help board little uh, to help children become aware of what's proper and a part of the preventative work to make sure that they have the skills to be safe and to be aware um, of what they need to be as they get older. That's awesome. That is seriously awesome. Yeah. And, and I wish you all sorts of good fortune with that one because that is such a needed component to working towards a solution. I, I, I mean, it's understandable that you've got to work through the trauma of what has happened, but it's also something where it's a critical need where you have to have enough forward thinking to keep it from happening in the first place. That's correct. Rob? Yeah. Robert, um, on ECHOES, um, the Parts of that program are or the project are going are are a book and a documentary. Where what um, what is the state of each of those? Are they in production? Um, um, when when will those be available? So the book will be available April twenty fifth. Um, it will be available on Amazon and various digital platforms. Um, they could also visit our website we survived.us. That's we survived.us. Um, and they'll be able to uh, get the book there after the 25th of April, or they can go now on Amazon and pre-order the book. Um, the documentary, we're still putting some pieces together, um, and it should be out before the end of the year. So um, I'm, I'm really Sorry, go ahead. Yes. No, and I said I'm really excited about it. So. Um, that's kind of where we are. We're still filming parts of the documentary. We're working with other organizations and agencies um, and getting their endorsements for it um, to ensure that it's holistic and it speaks to the the, the survivor's entire experience. Yeah. 
And, and are both uh, both the documentary and the book going to be called Echoes, or is there yeah, another they're title? They're both going to be called Echoes, yes. Excellent. Excellent. And what uh, you gave the one website, um, is what other websites can people find out more about you, the programs, and um, get involved? So they can visit uh, – the same website that I actually just gave you, um, it's uh, wesurvived.us, wesurvived.us. You can go there and find more information about me um, and the project and all the guys who are part of it. Um, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and what, what should people – should people watch that website about news about the documentary uh, for when it comes out? I'm sorry, say that again? Uh, should people go to that website to find out about the news about when the documentary is, is coming out, where they can see the documentary? Yes, sir. It's all right there. You can go right there. You'll see all of the information, all the news. You can follow us on social media, get all the updates, and all the important things that are going to be happening around the book and the release of the documentary. Perfect. So, um, Robert, what what haven't we asked and talked about that we should be talking about on this? Um, I think this uh, this um, I think we've covered a lot of ground, and I think um, more than anything, I was just grateful for the opportunity to come on the show to talk about uh, talk about um, the impact of sexual trauma and abuse. And I want to let men know here that um, that whatever happened to you, it's not your fault. It's not on you. Um, and that there is a place called wholeness that you have to take courage. You have to, you have to, you know, be courageous and um, love yourself enough and your future enough to move forward um, to begin your journey to wholeness, so that you can become the best versions of yourself where you're happy um, and you're content within your own skin. Right. And yeah. if we have somebody listening right now who's in a situation where they're currently being abused, but they're currently feeling they can't speak out because they know the attitudes of people around them, um, what, what is your advice and where would you have them reach out to um, uh, quietly and confidentially? So there's a number of resources. But one, of course, if you're in a situation where you're not safe, I would say always, you know, number one is call, you know, calling the cops. That's number one. Um, if they're, you know, um, but also if you're looking for more social support, there's a great resources a, a resource around the country called 211. Um, you can call 211 and receive and let them know kind of what you're dealing with, what you're going through, and they can point you to right to the social resources that you need. Um, in order to get the social support that you need um, to uh, journey through, whether that be homelessness, whether that be abuse, whether that be counseling, um, they have a, a wealth of resources. And I would say start there. You can send a text to 211, um, or you can, I believe you can call them as well, and that is a great resource um, for people who may be in situations where they need help and they're looking for more discretion. Um, and so, yeah, that's a great, that's a great resource. Um, um, there's organization, you know, I, yeah, that would be the, honestly, the best resource that I would give out front. Um, I'm a big proponent for psychology today as well. 
if you're looking for a, a therapist or a counselor, that those are great spaces. I've actually worked with a lot of counselors and therapists from um, Psychology Today that's on that's, that's listed on their website. Um, they have an amazing directory. You can begin you can begin there um, and start having some great conversations and getting the help that you need. Excellent. Well, Robert, we're we're nearing the end of our show. I, I want to thank you for for coming on and bringing up this subject. It's super important, and I think people need to be aware of it. And I really do think that you know if we can change the environment, change these behaviors, change um, everything about it, that um, we will have solved a lot of the you know reactionary issues that come up around it. Which again pointing out those include incarceration, suicide, violence, and homelessness. Um, that, that is what this all ultimately inspires, um, not to mention um, our society's um, dependence on toxic masculinity, which has all sorts of negative ramifications um, ongoing. Um, are there any final last words that you have that you want to impart? Yes. Um, I want to say thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Um, for any male survivor who's listening, um, you can live. You don't have to just exist. Um, you don't have to carry the weight of your of that shame, of that hurt, of the guilt. Um, you can. You can. There is a place called wholeness, and I would love to connect with you to help you to begin your journey. Um, you don't have to suffer in silence. There are people out here who are willing and waiting to connect with you, and to um, help you um, become the best version of yourself. Perfect. Uh, thank you again, Robert. Thank you not only for coming on today, but thank you for all you do. It's super valuable. Um, you're healing the world, and that that is completely admirable and wonderful and everything good um, and offsetting everything bad that um, has happened to so many I want to thank Brody for his not only his candidness today, but his work on this show and for his work as editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. You can check it out at losangelesblade.com. Um, lots of new articles, important news articles, original articles every single day of the week. And um, you want to keep your finger on the pulse of uh, what's going on and get some really excellent journalism check out losangelesblade.com. And I want to thank you for tuning in to us. We think you are incredibly valuable. We value your listenership um, very, very much. You can find us on all the different podcast platforms, iHeartRadio, Google um, Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Please do tell your friends about us and have them subscribe as well. Um, I think what we talk about is super important and would love to tell even many, many more people about it. We will be back again next week with um, another fascinating, important show. Um, as always, I have no clue what that will be, but I can definitely stand up for the qualities that it will impart, and I know you will get value out of it. Um, so me, for me and the rest of the Rated LGBTQ team and Rated LGBT Radio, um, we will talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.